0: My uh, friend Micah calls me the most unathletic athletic person he's ever seen. If if you uh, <laughs> if you knew when I when I was in college, I would, um, I would fall down all the time. I I mean it's like I'm a giraffe that didn't doesn't realize how tall he is. It it makes no sense. I'll just be walking and trip and fall on my face, and then I'll go out and play a sport. It doesn't make sense. Anyway. That was in case you saw me almost fall there trying to pick up my capo. Just over. I guess I'm like top heavy or something. I don't know. Um, we're uh, we're finishing out our series on the I am statements, and I've really enjoyed. It. I, I love the Book of John, the Gospel of John. It's my favorite gospel, and I just I think it has so much important truth that needs to be emphasized today, specifically regarding Jesus. You know, Jesus is God. And if you don't see that in anywhere else in Scripture, which you obviously do, John emphasizes it. Jesus is God. Jesus uses the statement, I am who I am. The, the, in the Greek, ego eimi. And, and, and it mirrors that of what God says. Jesus is saying that I am Yahweh. I am the same person in and in, in a a different person. I, I am the Son of God. I am God. And and. And all throughout John's Gospels, it's, it's almost as if John is he's using these different I am statements, and then he's placing the different things that Jesus did throughout his ministry in order to emphasize the I am statements. In order for us to know, you know, Jesus wasn't just another prophet. Jesus wasn't just this special man, this, this great philosopher, this great teacher. Jesus is God. And if we want to know God, we have to know Jesus. And and that's the the crux. That's the the ultimate truth of the gospel of John is that by knowing Jesus, by knowing the Son, we know the Father. By knowing the Son, we have the Spirit and the Father is always present with us. Now that's John's gospel. And we conclude these I am statements with one that sometimes I think we, we almost lose some of the, the meaning behind. And I'm, I'm glad Jackie opened up with, um, or did the, his communion meditation on the true vine, because we're not going to get to that passage until the end of the message this morning. We're going to go back in time before we come to what Jesus says in the book of John. Um, I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer, and, and then we'll just dive right on in. Father God, as we open your word... Give us your, your spirit. Let, let, let your spirit come upon us so that we know that we are interpreting and reading your word in the way that you desire for us to understand it. That you are teaching us, that you are guiding our thoughts, guiding the way that your word impacts our hearts so that the decisions we make, the actions we do, the, the things we say are all reflections of what we know to be true through your word. God, thank you for your son. Speak through this message this morning. Speak through me this morning as, as we seek to hear and feel the spirit move. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. One of the, um, I think one of the greatest parts of coming here to freedom is the amount of food that people yeah. give us. You know, I... When I was growing up, there were people in our church every once in a while, every once in a blue moon, someone would give you a dessert. At Freedom, I think that Isabella and I have a dessert every week. I mean, it's crazy how much people are... I always say the spiritual gift of Freedom is cooking. You know, there's so many good cooks, so many good bakers, so so many gardeners, so many people that, that we we just are really good with food. And... <laughs> well Michael you gave me a, a double all d- me to page while we're <laughs> just to, to understand what Michael's saying is last Sunday he brought a peach cobbler and a strawberry cheesecake to the prayer group and while we were praying Isabella and I were just spooning some of it out you know, whenever we got a chance <laughs> but there, there's so much um, that so many people that are gifted with, with, gifted with giving and that are gifted with gardening you know Isabella and I we we get cucumbers and and, and corn and and tomatoes and strawberries some of the best strawberries I've ever had in my life came from Terry I mean golly those were some good strawberries and but there's so many people that are are good gardeners here especially which is good because Isabella and I are not good gardeners we do not have a green thumb and and when you hear me say that you might be thinking okay they just don't feel like gardening or they're just a little too late to the garden. no if we garden we kill the plants like we are not good gardeners and I, I'm telling you if you want someone if you go on a trip and you have plants that need tended after do not ask us to do them because they will die we are not good gardeners we had a friend named uh, my friend named Eli he was living here he was living in Lexington while he was working for FEMA here and he went on a trip like a two-week trip for work or something and he thinks he's a horticulturist, I don't know, he has like a bunch of plants that he likes to tend to and, and since we were close by, before he went to the airport, he brought us these plants because he was gonna be gone for a couple weeks, three weeks or something, and so just you know, water them every now and again. They, they, it's really hard for these plants to die because they just don't need a lot of attention. He came back from his three-week trip and all of his plants were dead. I mean, like, like and, and he looked at us and said, how is it possible? I don't know the name of the plant, but he said, it is not possible for this plant to die. Like, I don't understand how this plant has died in your care. It was probably like a cactus or something. Like, how do you kill a cactus? And yet, here we are the ones that are, are killing a, c- a cactus. But we, we are not, to say the least, good at gardening. We're not good at tending and and bearing fruit. That's why you'll never see a garden in our backyard. And I say all of this because the most important piece of information regarding Jesus' I am statement comes from the primary directive of human history that God gave humanity. And and that's in the book of Genesis and, and we'll turn there in a second but it's to be fruitful to 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 tend the earth to 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 produce and you know what does that mean in regards of what Jesus is saying here when we read Genesis when we read the, the all the different times when God tells a person be fruitful and multiply and and cover the earth I, I don't think we often think of it in terms of what Jesus is talking to here in the gospel of John in reference to the vine we think of it as multiplying uh, uh, producing offspring In a sense it does care that carry that that meaning but it, there's a little bit more to it it's about about gardening our souls so what does that mean what does it mean to garden our souls what does it mean to tend our souls and produce and fruit of our souls well turn with me to genesis chapter 1 to genesis chapter 1 as i say we're going to be covering a lot of human and israelite history before we get to this text in John. Now what I'm talking about here, about fruitful and multiply, comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. God has just created everything. He's just ordered creation. It's structured. Everything has been ordained and made, but there's something missing. There's a part of his creation that is that, that, that needs to be finalized. And that's what he does here in verses 26, 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. That's important. We'll get back to that in a second. They will rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image them in the image of God. That's three times God has mentioned creating humanity in his image. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on earth. Okay, because that phrase, be fruitful, is thrown in the midst of multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, we know that 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 phrase there, that, that word, is in reference to gaining dominion over the earth. This is God's primary directive. This is God's first directive to humanity. You all are supposed to be fruitful. You're to bear fruit. You're to multiply. You're to produce. You're to cover the earth. You're to have dominion over the earth. Okay, that that makes sense. To have dominion over the earth. But what does it mean to be fruitful? You know, to be fruitful, you have to be growing out of something. To be fruitful, you have to be a tree that bears the fruit. You have to be planted in soil that grows where you grow from that soil. What are we fruitful of? To get that answer, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. God created them in His own image. He created them in the image of God. There's this emphasis in this passage. Humanity is created in the image of God. We are bearers of the image of God and from that we produce fruit. We multiply. We gain dominion over the earth. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means that we are carrying a semblance of the authority of God. We are carrying a semblance of the knowledge of righteousness. We are carrying an awareness of who God is. And through those things, we are to bear the fruit of those things. When we produce, we're supposed to teach our children what righteousness means. When we, when we have kids, we're supposed to, to teach our, our kids what it means to to have responsibility to have to to govern over things to to control over things we're supposed to teach them the ways of god because we are image bearers of god we were created in the likeness of god the primary directive of humanity is this because you were made as my likeness you are to carry my likeness to the world you are to bear the fruit of my likeness that's the primary directive of humanity before the law was written down, before anything we could ever have, before any revelation we ever had regarding God, this was what God tells Adam and Eve in the garden, their directive, you are, you're my ambassadors to the world, to creation. You are version, miniature image bearers of me. You now, think, think of, um, this is a poor metaphor, but you know, think about the, the different cultures in the, in the Bible, how they would an idol or an image. And that, what that thing was supposed to do was to bear a semblance of this abstract God that the people, that, that, that nation worshipped. You had, you had like, for instance, the Canaanites that worshipped Baal and they would create a statue of a cow or of, of something that was supposed to be a reflection of Baal. Now, we are not idols in any sense of the word, but we are bearing the reflection of the God who created us. We're not creating images to reflect God. God created us to be a reflection of him and to bear the fruit and multiply and, and bear that reflection over the surface of the earth. Okay? That, that is something that often gets lost here in the creation account. But this is a directive that God doesn't just give to Adam. He gives it to Noah. He gives it to Abram. He gives it to Isaac. He gives it to Jacob. He gives it to all the people that are supposed to be ambassadors for His righteousness, for His authority, for His teachings. Now why does God have to keep giving this directive over and over again? Be fruitful, be fruitful, be fruitful. It says all throughout Scripture. I was doing a word study. Part of the reason I was late coming out here this morning if, you were, if you're one of the ones that get here 30 minutes early I was a little late getting out to the sanctuary because I just wanted to be sure that I was getting this word right I was, I was understanding this Hebrew word correctly and this Hebrew word is used over 29 times in, in the Bible all in the same reference to people bearing fruit to bearing something and producing something generally directed from a directive by God So why does God have to keep giving this directive over and over and over and over again throughout human history? Because we can't get the directive right. Look at what happens immediately, immediately after God gives this directive. He he gives the directive that humanity is to bear the fruit of God's likeness and then... In in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman told the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now it's not not, uh, a coincidence that fruit is mentioned both here and in the directive of God. It's not a coincidence that that is the case. The the point here isn't that Adam and Eve saw a shiny object and, and ate it. The point is that they took part of the wrong type of fruit. They were supposed to be bearers of God's image, bearers of God's likeness, bearers of God's righteousness. They were supposed to produce the fruit that came from him. Instead, they're engaging in fruit that he had told them not to take part in. They were going against God's desire. They were going against God's life. They were contradicting God's nature. They were contradicting God's righteousness. That's where the problem came in. And as a result, what happens? We, we know that Eve eats the fruit, Adam eats the fruit. They, they realize things that, what true what, righteousness what, and what, what true evil is, their eyes are open, and then. At the conclusion of all this, what does God say to them in Genesis 3 starting in 17? He says, "God said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you do not eat from it, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat you will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field." You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return from the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. So as a result of humanity bearing the wrong type of fruit, as a result of us engaging in fruit that is contrary to God's nature, what happens? All of humanity is cursed. All of humanity is kicked out of God's presence. All of humanity is now, is now required to toil and work and, and, and earn what they can. But still, even after this, God still gives this directive to righteous people, to Noah, after the flood, be fruitful and multiply. To Abram, as he has faith and God holds it as righteous, be fruitful. You will, I'll make you a great nation. You will be fruitful and multiply. To Isaac, you will be fruitful. To, to, to Jacob. To Israel. God so desperately wants, even though we messed up from the very beginning, we messed up our primary directive almost instantly, God still wants us to follow it. God still wants humanity to pour out from Him to bear the fruit of His image. And yet we couldn't do it. Which brings us to the book of Isaiah. After thousands of years of inadequately producing fruit, of inadequately tending the garden of humanity's soul, we come to Isaiah. to, to, To Isaiah prophesying to an Israelite people that have just over and over and over again abandoned God in pursuit of other things. They over and over and over again produced the wrong type of fruit. And this is a a message from God spoken through Isaiah. God is the one speaking. and In Isaiah 5, God says, I will sing about the one I love. A song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love on a very fertile hill he broke up the soil cleared it of stones and planted it with the finest vines he built a tower in the middle of it and even dug out a wine press there and expected it to yield good grapes but it yielded worthless grapes so here god is making a metaphor of humanity God planted creation god established creation and then he put a vineyard right there and he was proud of that vineyard he loved that vineyard. that was his prized possession it to produce valuable grapes and it produced worthless grapes. So now, residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why, when I expect a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? Now I'll, now I'll tell you what I'm about to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will tear down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. It will not be pruned or weeded. Thorns and briars will grow up. I will also give orders to the clouds that rain should never fall on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of armies is the house of Israel, the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in. He expected justice, but saw injustice. injustice he expected righteousness, but heard cries of despair. So this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah to, to the offspring, to the fruit that He expected Israel to produce. And He's saying, you have not done it. I have given you chances time and time again. I gave you the law of Moses. I gave you the prophets. I gave you the temple. I gave you the Davidic line of of kingship. And still, you cannot produce the right kind of fruit. You're producing worthlessness. You're producing unrighteousness. You're producing injustice. So I'm just going to Fill you up. I'm going to get rid of you. I'm going to let a wasteland grow over top of you because there is nothing more that I can do to make you bear the right kind of fruit. Now the thing is, if Israel was producing the wrong type of fruit, if they were bearing worthless grapes, what was the rest of the world? I mean, Israel had the revelation of God in their midst. They, they had the law of Moses. They had the teachings of the prophets. If they were producing worthlessness. Then the rest of the world was, wasn't producing anything. So in reality, the primary directive of God to humanity at the very beginning of time has never been able to be Fulfilled. Humanity's fruit became rotten in the fall, and it has always stayed that way. That's where we come to John. Because Jesus knows that humanity is incapable of producing the fruit that God desires for humanity to produce. We cannot be righteous, we, 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 do not have, we, we cannot grasp true justice. We we can't truly love others the way we're supposed to. We can't seem to get it right. We cannot produce the fruit that God wants us to produce as his image-bearer. So what does he do? He gives us the true vision of himself. He becomes the fruit. He becomes the branch. He becomes that which can produce correct fruit. Humanity couldn't do it, so he became the vine to show us what it looks like to produce fruit. Listen, Jesus now says in John 15, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. Jesus is saying, listen, I am am God. I know history. I knew Adam and Eve. I knew Noah. I knew Abram. I knew all those people. They couldn't produce fruit. These were the great people, the great heroes of the Israelite faith. If they couldn't produce fruit, how are you going to Be able to produce what God desires for us. The only way you're going to do it, Jesus says, is if you remain in Me. I am the true vine. I am the vine; you are the branches. The one who remains in Me and I in Him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without Me. If anyone does not remain in Me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather him, throw them into the fire. And they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Jesus uses that same terminology that you bear fruit, the same terminology that that is used throughout the Old Testament. God is glorified in this that you produce fruit. Why is God glorified in this? Because this was God's primary directive from the beginning. We just can't do it. We've never been able to do it. So Jesus became us so that we, through him, can accomplish what we never could accomplish before. We can now fulfill our primary directive only through the vine of Jesus. And, and, And this is somewhat hard to because we're trying to visualize things and place them into human terms where we're we're using vines to equate to to righteous actions. It's, It's hard to understand this, but we have to understand that since the beginning of time, the people that were supposed to bear the image of God have not been able to produce the righteousness of God, the justice of God, The love of God. We have been incapable of doing that. And so we needed God to become us so that the vine could grow and we could attach ourselves to that vine and that vine could could attach itself to us and grow through us. And you know, sometimes that's difficult. Jesus says that, that if you are in me, the Father is going to prune you. That's not fun. Pruning means you're, you're snipping parts of the vine in order for more parts to grow out from it. That When it happens, when the pruning takes place, that's not an enjoyable thing. But he's saying if you remain in me, the Father is going to continually tend to you and prune you and work in you. And it might not seem like it's good things, but you're going to produce the fruit of His image. You're going to produce the righteousness that He holds. You're going to produce the same type of love that He has for you. You're going to produce the justice, the perfect justice that He has. And if you don't remain in me, you're just not going to produce the fruit that can get you into the book of life. Actions, Jesus would say, do not save you. Only by remaining in me can you be saved from the fire? And, and Jackie pointed out the, the book of life in Revelation. When your name's written in the book of life, when you when you ha- are attached to the vine of Jesus, you're not thrown into the fire. But if we're not attached to Jesus, we will never produce the fruit. That we've always been told, always been called to produce. Now I want to end with this: How do we know we're in the vine? How do we understand that that Jesus is growing out from us? That that the fruit of this of of the vine is pouring out from us. What are we supposed to grow in? You know, Isabelle and I don't know how to grow things. We we don't know how to really make stuff how to make the soil fertile, how to make things sprout up from the soil. What, what sort of soil are we supposed to be growing in as Christians? The answer is the Spirit. Jesus says before all of this in, in chapter 14, if you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world's unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So what separates us from the world? Well, the short answer is because we remain in the vine. We are able to produce the fruit that God desires for humanity to produce ever since the beginning because we remain in the vine. But how does that work? Because when we trust in Jesus when we believe, when we follow His teachings, when when we try to emulate and imitate who He is, we're also trusting that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ is within us. And it's that Spirit that pours out of us and grows through us. You know, I've never understood that command to be fruitful and multiply. And I've understood it as you just produce. You fill the earth. But I've also never fully understood what it means to be the image of God. And it took reading that Jesus is the true vine and that we are to bear fruit as God's image, to realize the magnificence of what Jesus is saying. All of humanity has been given a gift that the rest of creation never received. We bear the image of our Creator. The same authority over creation. Just a different level of power. We bear the ability and the knowledge of righteousness. We bear the ability to understand justice. We have morality and eternity written in our hearts. But ever since the fall, we've been incapable of bearing that fruit. And it's only through Jesus. It's only through God becoming the people that can't uphold His directive. It's only through His Spirit that we can produce the fruit that God desires. It's only through His Spirit that our names can be written in the book of life and prevent the branches from being thrown into the fire. So there's two takeaways from this Is your name written in the book? Are you a part of the branch? Are you growing out from Christ? Are you? Are do, do you see yourself producing the fruit that can only come if you're attached to Jesus? If that's the, if that's not the case, then your fate is set right now. You will be thrown into the fire. You will be. You will face the judgment. You will face the fullness of God's wrath. If you do belong to the Spirit, if you own the vine. What are you doing as you're a part of that vine? Are you continually feeding the soil of the Spirit? Are you allowing the Spirit to give you nutrients so that, so that you are growing out of it? Are you getting every, angry every time God prunes you to, to help strengthen you and gr- cause you to produce more fruit? The truth is, when we become Christians... That's not the end-all, be-all. That's just the beginning. That's just the start. We are to be continually producing fruit that grows out from Christ. And so I hope that if you aren't a part of that vine, you realize the necessity of grafting yourself into the vine. And if you are a part of it, you realize the directive to continually grow out of it. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, this, this message is, is one that the, the, the church as a whole needs to hear. Don't let us, God, as Christians, as followers of your Son, don't let us be satisfied with our baptism. Don't let us be satisfied with professing your name but encourage us, God, continually to produce fruit, to grow out from you, to let the Spirit feed us. God, place a desire within us to know you more deeply and intimately so that the world, when they look at us, know with certainty that we are remaining in you. And God, for anyone here this morning that hasn't been grafted in, that isn't a part of your vine, that is incapable of producing truly the fruit that you have told us to produce, place in their heart, Lord, a desire and, and an awareness of the need to be grafted in, to belong to you to be a part of who you are. God, thank you for your love, for being the sacrifice, for bearing the punishment that we deserve, and for producing the righteousness that we could never produce. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.